This week's article is an extremely helpful mini review of what we currently know and don't know about MILAS, including specific considerations for OT treatment. You will see that working with a patient with this syndrome will call upon the full range of your OT skill set. And in this article, we will see a continued trend for how OTs should treat patients with chronic conditions, namely that we should be taking a team-based approach and that we cannot afford to forget about exercise or leave it to our other colleagues because the benefits are potentially too important. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where each week we discuss one influential OT-related journal article. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL, and this week we are looking at the journal article, Milos Syndrome, Clinical Manifestations, Pathogenesis, and Treatment Options. This article comes to us from the Journal of Molecular Genetics and Metabolism. It was published in 2015, and it is ranked third on our list of the 100 most influential OT-related journal articles. So let's start today with just a broad overview of Milos syndrome. This is a syndrome I don't remember learning about in OT school, so it may be new to some of you, or if not, I think we could all definitely use a refresher. If you remember from biology class, each cell in our body contains mitochondria. And in the simplest terms, mitochondria helps produce energy for that cell. Now, people with Milos syndrome have dysfunctional mitochondria, and this is typically caused by a genetic mutation. This dysfunction means their cells are not able to produce sufficient energy to meet the needs of some of their organ systems, particularly those systems that demand a lot of energy. MILAS stands for mitochondrial encephalopathy, lactic acidosis, and stroke-like episodes. For the vast majority of patients with this syndrome, the symptoms began to manifest between the ages of 2 and 20. The disease is progressive, meaning that it slowly gets worse, and for many patients, the symptoms present in a relapsing and remitting pattern. Um, So they get worse for a little while, and then they get a little better, but they're on this trajectory of slowly getting worse. Um, The disease does appear to impact life expectancy, but I couldn't really find quality data around that. Since the dysfunction for these patients is occurring at a cellular level, almost every system in their body may be impacted by this syndrome. The article itself provides many helpful details about the many levels of symptomology that these patients may experience, but I wanted to just highlight the ones that we as therapists may see clinically and that we can help either manage or at least watch for. The list is a little long, but I'm just going to go ahead and read through it because I think it's really helpful to know. Greater than 90% of patients with this syndrome experience stroke-like episodes, dementia, epilepsy, and exercise intolerance. 75 to 89% of patients experience hemiparesis, vision loss, recurrent headaches, hearing impairment, and muscle weakness. 50 to 74% of patients experience peripheral neuropathy, learning disability, memory impairment, recurrent vomiting, and short stature. And 25 to 49% of patients experience myoclonus, ataxia, episodic altered consciousness, 
gait disturbance, depression, anxiety, psychotic disorders, and diabetes. So as you can tell, that is a long list of symptoms, but I think it's really important to remember that the syndrome does manifest differently in each individual. So as therapists, we really need to be listening to the particular needs of the patient that is sitting in front of us. And speaking of treatment, next I want to look at what the article does recommend for the management of MELOS. Foremost, I think it's really important to know that there is no cure for MELOS. So treatment should be supportive and focus on helping the patient manage their symptoms. The article does state that there is no broad consensus about the approach for treating individuals with the condition. However, the following recommendations were made in the article and I'm pulling the ones that are relevant to occupational therapy. First, the article recommends that management should involve a multidisciplinary team. And as it lists who should be on that team, occupational therapy is mentioned there. Second, the following evaluations are recommended when a diagnosis is made and at follow-up visits as merited. The article recommends a comprehensive neurological exam, including cognitive assessments. And I'm highlighting those two in particular because I could see occupational therapy being a support in that. And third, the article states that regular exercise can improve exercise capacity in individuals with MELOS syndrome. And specifically, it says that endurance training can induce mitochondrial biogenesis, meaning that new mitochondria are being formed. And also related to exercise, it says that resistance training can induce transferring normal mitochondria templates to satellite cells. Um, so exercise can help healthy mitochondria to spread. Since this was a 2015 article, I did want to see if there were any updated recommendations that we should know about. And I did find on UpToDate that they had an article from 2018, which echoed the recommendations that we saw. Um, and specifically, they said that given the data, we suggest routine, moderate level aerobic exercise, such as walking, running, cycling, or swimming combined with regular mild resistance strength training for patients with mitochondrial disorders who are able to participate in physical activity. And up to date also echoed that recommendation for OT to be part of that multidisciplinary rehab team. Uh, and they mentioned specifically to help with dysarthria, dysphagia, weakness, spasticity, ataxia, and other central nervous system deficits. So what were my takeaways from this article for occupational therapy practitioners? As always, these are my personal takeaways. They were not mentioned in the journal article, and they're really just meant to get your wheels turning about this research. My first takeaway was that your holistic occupational therapy care is among the few treatment recommendations for these patients. And in the absence of clear answers, your individual clinical reasoning is needed. Now, whenever I read about complex conditions like this, I am always struck by the weight and the importance of quality occupational therapy care. These patients have very few treatment options and none of them are curative. So the care provided by you as an occupational therapy practitioner is extremely important. Because this disease is highly variable in its presentation, um, it will really take your full breadth of training to partner with these patients in helping them navigate their symptoms and participate in their life as fully as possible. 
My second big takeaway was that we again see that exercise can provide a very specific counterattack to the root cause of this chronic disease. Through looking at research in this podcast and within the OT Potential Club, we have seen a trend that for some of our patients for whom exercise may be the most difficult, it is still extremely important. And it may take the help of a therapist such as you to help our patients safely establish a healthy exercise habit, um, given the limitations that they may have due to their condition. As we've already discussed on the podcast, uh, when we talked about conditions like osteogenesis imperfecta and Parkinson's disease, for these patients, exercise not only has the general health benefits that one may think of when you think of exercise, but it can also directly counterattack the root cause of the disease. And in the case of these patients with this Milos syndrome, exercise may actually spur healthy mitochondrial formation. Now, that's not to say that exercise is a cure-all and it is still definitely being studied for this population, but between this promising disease-specific evidence and then just the traditional benefits and the overall low risk of participating in exercise, it is too important for us to ignore this habit for our patients. And even if you aren't traditionally used to addressing exercise habits with your patients, If you have a patient with this syndrome on your caseload, um, this is just something that I think is extremely important for us as occupational therapists to address. Okay, that is all that I have for you this week. As a reminder, the OT Potential Podcast is an extension of the OT Potential Club. If you are an OT Potential Club member, I am really eager to hear your thoughts on this review. And I hope to hear from some of you who have worked with patients with this condition because I think it's especially important when it comes to these rare diseases that we are sharing with each other as therapists, what we are learning, what we found helpful, so that when patients with this condition come to our caseloads, we can really provide the best care possible. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I really hope that this podcast helps you provide great care this week.